Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. Church, we are going to ease back into our series here on the seven letters to the church. Amen, which we've been in for months now. What are, what are we on? 20, uh, the 20th week here on, uh, on, on this series here, which was supposed to take about seven weeks. Amen. But, pr- but praise the Lord. Amen. It's uh, what a, I'm, I'm thankful for what the Lord's been revealing. I mean, we've been, we've gone through all these different churches and we've, we've landed here on Laodicea here for, I don't know, for the last uh, four or five weeks now. And it's a, uh, Man, there, there is just some powerful stuff in this, in this, you know, uh, in, in this letter to the church at Laodicea, where, where it seems like, uh, you know, I didn't think we we're going to spend as much time as we have been on it, but, but every time I, I dig into it and things that I've already taught on, he keeps, he kind of reveals some new things, and, and he's like dissecting every single word in this letter, and I'm telling you, it's absolutely powerful, and, I, and I'm thankful for it. It's uh, not that these other letters aren't powerful, but, but as I've told, uh, I've told some, uh, some of the people here. There's something, there's something about this church at Laodicea that really, that really points to me to where the church is today. And when I say the church is today, I'm speaking of the Western church. I mean, cause this is the only church that I, that I have knowledge of that I've preached and that I've been a part of is the, is the church in Europe and the church in the Americas. Amen. And it's a, and if you've, if you've been around any of these circles, you, maybe you'll understand what I'm saying, but, but there is, there is such a likeness to what was going on in the church at Laodicea to, to what is going on 2,000 years later in the churches here in, in the Western world. And I'm telling you, it's a, it's, it's, it's a really eye-opening thing to, to come to pass. I mean, it's a... It's, it's interesting. So I think that's kind of why the Lord's kind of been digging in now. Now, I don't know. There could be, you know, the church there in the Middle East or Asia or Africa. There may be some likenesses there, too. I just can't, I just can't verify those things or, or vouch for it. But, but I just want to remind you as I'm saying these things. Remember, Laodicea is the only church here that we've gone through out of the, out of the past seven here, or the seven churches here, that, that has no commendations. It has no praises. It only has correction. It only has a rebuke going towards them. And I'm not saying that the church in the, in the Western world is not doing some great things because they are. Amen. But, but, I mean, there is a lot of correction that does need to take place in the Western church for it to fulfill the call that God has for us. I mean, to, to usher in this latter-day reigns, to usher in this, this end-of-the-day's harvest that, that we're right on the brink of coming, of, of, you know, of it being upon us. Amen. And, but there's some things that, that just need to be shifted in our perspective to where we get more focused on him instead of instead of so focused on ourselves and and you know who we who we think we are amen now with this does it does it seem like you know as we've talked through like the church of Ephesus and and, and some of these that he says you know I'm gonna t- I'll take your lampstand unless you can repent and get these things corrected now now we've seen as we've gotten to Laodicea that they, they they've already crossed over that point they're already in that place to where to where that anointing has gone off of that church and they've become religious amen they become dead and, and just a, a religious church and now to, now why did Jesus or did Jesus let me rephrase that did Jesus wait until they got to this point until he began to address them Amen. Did he say, like, I'm just going to wait till, till you get off and, and, you know, you're not making any impact and, you, and you've lost your anointing? Did he wait till that took place? Or, is it, or has he been trying to minister, him to, uh, minister to them the whole time? I'm here to tell you, church, that, that Jesus was constantly speaking to them. The Holy Ghost was constantly talking to this church. He was constantly talking to every one of these churches. Amen. But see, we can get to this place where we get calloused. Amen. And we won't be able to hear the things that, uh, that the Lord is having us to say. I would say this is one of the reasons why it's so important for you to have the fivefold ministry gifts in the church. The pulpit ministry gifts is what I'm getting at. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Why? Because he didn't just want, he didn't want a king over the church. And we got a king. Amen. His name is Jesus. We don't need another king over the church. And see, sometimes when 
when you're looking at these letters, you know, who is he addressing? He's addressing the pastor because many times the pastor is the one that, that has gotten, he got off, he got off into a different direction and he's the one that is leading the whole congregation into, into you know, the, some of these different doctrines that these churches have got to hold on. I'm telling you, that's why, that's why it's powerful to have the apostles and the prophets, the, the evangelists, the teachers to come through to where, to where sometimes if, even if the pastor is sitting here and he gets off on, on something else, amen, one of the other ministry gifts can come through and deliver a word that can bring some correction, can allow the unction of the Holy Ghost to, to prick the hearts of, of everyone in the congregation, including the minister, amen, which is not something that uh, I don't think anyone desires or wants to happen, amen, but this, this, is, this is the reasoning why we have fivefold ministry gifts. Amen. This is why you need all five of them. Why? Because it's a checks and balance that God has placed in the church. Amen. To where there's not one ruler and he just leaves everyone off the cliff. Amen. We got other people that keep things in checks and balance to where, to where uh, the people will get trained up in what God needs them to do. Amen. It's power, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Now, now with this, with this church getting, getting calloused right here, we obviously see that John has been called to, to deliver a message to him. Now, how many of y'all know that the Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and Revelations, they were the last books to be added into the, the last books to be written and the last books to be added into the, into the Word, into the canon of Scripture. And they were written somewhere around 80 to 95 AD, some 60 years after Jesus has died, some 20 or 30 years after the apostle Peter was, was hung on the crucifix upside down and martyred, amen, that they raised up, that the Lord's begin to speak to John to, to begin to write some of these letters and do some of these things. Now, now apparently, you know, the apostle John wasn't, wasn't like Paul, wasn't traveling around establishing millions of churches. Now, I'm sure he established churches just like all the other apostles did. I'm, I'm sure he did some of these things. But, but, you know, he was more of a pillar in the church at Jerusalem, which kind of brought forth its own problems at times. And then, and then later on in his life, he moved forth to, to Ephesus. Amen. He brought, you know, Jesus's, uh, Jesus' This is Mother Mary with them. I mean, I think, I think uh, this is, and Ephesus is actually where uh, the Apostle John is buried. Amen. But this didn't happen later on in his life. But I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting to see, though, when we talk about these things. It's uh, uh, okay. You know, John. You know, when uh, people, uh, historians tell us. That John went to, to, he was not planning on writing any gospel. Amen. There, you know, and they said, well, why don't you write a gospel? You're, you know, you were, you're John the Beloved. You're the disciple that, that Jesus loved. Would you, why, don't you write, why don't you write a gospel for us? And he said, well, well, there's already one, two, three, right? Gospels already written. I don't think there is a need for it. But see, th- at 30, 40, 50, 60 years later, as the church is as being progressed, as you've, as you've probably heard Brother Hagin say, or me quoting from him, that, that you'll see cycles of, of false doctrines and different things coming through the church about every 20 years. Amen. So, so this, at this time that he wrote the gospel in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, these letters, and then the revelation given to him, this, you could have had, you could have had, you know, uh, three different, you know, cycles of, of, of crazy doctrines running through the church at this time, amen, to where he finally said, there is something missing. Amen. That's why I find the, the gospel of John so powerful. I mean, because it's a completely different perspective than if you look at Matthew, Mark, and look. Now, I love the other, other three as well, but there is, there is something that is, that, is, that, is, that is in that book when John speaks, because he is seated, like we've been talking about on Sundays, he's seated in this place of intimacy that, that releases something that it doesn't seem like many of these others could release. Amen. And it was powerful enough to the point to where, where God trusted him enough to even give him this revelation of not, not of, of things that will not come maybe 2000 years later. Amen. But also, you know, John, there, I, know, I know you may not have planned some of these churches, but I'm telling you, you're a father of the church. I'm telling you, you are probably, you're probably the last, I'm not for sure, but probably the last, you know, uh, uh, apostle of the lamb, you know, that, that's sitting there walking around. You need to bring forth correction because the seat that you're seated in, you're seated in can bring the correction that these churches need to, to get Asia Minor back into the direction they're going. Because how many of y'all know that, you know, 60 years, man, that's plenty of time to get a church getting in a ditch. Amen. 
I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take churches very long nowadays to get in the ditch. I mean, but, but if you had, you know, 30, 20, 30, 60, 70 years, I mean, it's plenty of time for churches to get in the ditch. And I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, that uh, you know, that the Lord brought John here to, to, to change these things up and get them going in the right direction. Amen. And he brought forth the revelation of not only things to come, but the things that need to be corrected in the church. And that's where we're at now here at the church at Laodicea. And verse Chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Under the angel, under the pastor, under the apostle, under the overseer, under the bishop, under the elder of the church of the Laodiceans, he goes, he goes you write these things, John. See, you know, the Lord's speaking to John. He's saying, no, you address, you address these ministers. Amen. I trust you at that, that, that place of intimacy you're sitting in. I trust you to go minister correction unto, unto these people. He says, Thus saith the Amen the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of men. Amen. You know, we, uh, we know this, this word here. We've talked about the Greek, uh, the, the word the in the Greek is ho. It's a definite article. You know, Jesus is saying, I am the amen. I am the, 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 the so be it. I am the last word. I am the, the last word. I am the, I am the man with authority giving you the last word. I mean, I am that guy. I, it is me. I am the amen. Amen. Coming to you to, to, to get things straight. Amen. I'm telling you that if y'all can just grab a hold of how powerful that, that word is right there. when Jesus saying, I am the amen, he is the final word in every situation. How many y'all know that he is the final word? You know, your solicitor isn't the final word. You know, your banker, you know, he, he's not the final word in a situation. I'm telling you, church, the government, they are not the final word in a situation. It doesn't matter. See, when a doctor comes to tell you something, I'm telling you, they are not the final word. I'm telling you, people need to hear this right now because, see, you're taking these reports that these doctors are giving you like, like it's the gospel. I'm telling you, the doctors aren't the final word. Jesus is the final word. And I'm telling you, we need to grab a hold of that, know what the final word says, and allow that to be manifested into our lives. I'm telling you, it will change you. It will change you. Glory to God. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I would that you are cold or hot, but neither you're, but you're neither, but you are, uh, so then because you're lukewarm, neither, neither cold or hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. He says, man, I would, I would that you were cold, that you were refreshing, like, like the ice cold waters coming out of Colossae. He goes, I wish you were, you were fervent in this hot boiling water, medicinal healing waters coming from Hierapolis. I, I, I wish you were at those things, but, but you're not. You're not. You're, you're lukewarm. You're tepid. And because you're tepid and lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, listen, as I always say when we come to this, we always need to be, give you the reminder, you know, address the issue that Jesus isn't saying, I'm rejecting you. I'm not disinheriting you because you've made a mistake. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is I've, I've come down to commune with you. I came down when two or three are gathered in my name. I, I came down to commune with you, to eat with you, to sup with you. And I took a nice big drink of you and you are nothing like I expected. I expect you to be a healing. I expect you to be refreshing, but you are rancid. You're a tepid. So I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm not rejecting you. I'm not rejecting you, but, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. <laughs> You're vile. And some things need to get changed. But see, Jesus never leaves us there. He always, he always, he always tells us the things that needed to be changed. He said, because, in verse 17, because you saith I'm rich, and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, blind, and naked. I like it how the passion says it here. It says, for you claim I am rich and getting richer. He goes, I don't need a thing. He said, you are clueless. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. And you're naked. He said, you're bragging that you're rich. You're bragging like you've made yourself Rich, he goes. He goes. This is how, this is what you're saying about yourself. It's not what I'm saying about you. He goes. You say that you're rich. I'm not saying you're rich. 
You're bragging, saying that you're wealthy, that, you, that, that your goods are being added to you. I'm not, I'm not saying these things about you. These are what you are saying about yourself. See, many times what we think about ourselves and the accomplishments we have made is not necessarily the way Jesus sees us. You say, why is that? Because, see, Jesus doesn't look at this facade we put on the outside, what we want to portray to everyone of uh, how we think we are, how we want to talk, how we want to look, how we want to dress. You know, Jesus doesn't look at those things. He doesn't look at that facade. He peers deep down into your heart, deep down into your spirit. Amen. He sees, he sees what lies underneath all those things. Amen. And he knows the changes that need to be made. He says, you're making the claim. These Laodiceans were making the claim that they were so rich that they didn't need anything. They needed nothing. My wealth, it's, it's satisfied everything we need. You know, somehow this, this carnality they had, this, this material abundance they had, has satisfied them spiritually, which is absolute nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. They come to this place where they think of themselves as being, being the ones that created everything that is around them. This, look at all the things I've done. Because I'm a Laodicean, because the place I'm from, because I'm so blessed of God, look what, look what I have done for myself. Remember, remember they get this from this, you know, there's an earthquake, remember, that came through Laodicea. And Laodicea being the, being the, the, the great city of the Lycus Valley out of, the, out of these three cities here, you know, it, when that earthquake came in and destroyed the city, you know, Rome came and said, you know what? You're such a, a miraculous city. You're the leading city here. We want to pour out money into you so you can, so you can rebuild your city and people, you know, you can be the, you know, the, the wonderful place that everyone thinks you are. And they said, are you talking to us? You're going to give us money? Who do you, who do you think we are? You think we're one of your poor cities in, in the Roman Empire? We're not one of your poor cities. We're Laodicea. We're wealthy. We're rich. We don't need your help. We'll rebuild our city ourselves. And you know what they did? They rebuilt the city themselves. I mean, the church it got, and the church had the same type of influence, the same type of character that was on, on the inside of them. And said, "Man, we've we built this, we built this kingdom, we built we built a great church, we built all this stuff around us. We, you know, their their church was supposed to be beautiful and ornate and had all kind of beautiful details." And they said, "Man, we built all these things ourselves. Man, we don't need anything. We have enough wealth to fix every situation that we're in. You know, we're not." Hey, Jesus, we're not, we're not like one of those other churches over there. You know, some of those poor churches over there in Asia Minor. You know, some of those churches that, that don't have money, they can't get I mean, we know you haven't poured your blessing out upon them because they're poor. Well, well contrary to the fact, if you, look, if, you, if you go back and listen to some of our messages on Philadelphia and Smyrna, I think it was, the, the only two that didn't have any rebuke coming to them. Now, they had some physical problems. They had some financial problems. They had maybe not the greatest church or the most gifts operating in them. You know, they were, they were persecuted like, like, they're, like no one's business, amen, but, you know, God had no rebuke for them. Amen. God had no rebuke for them. Why? Because they were, they were obedient. How, how many I know God is a lot more concerned? He's a lot more concerned with our obedience unto him, our desire for him, than he is with our comforts. Amen. Now, God, God will bless you. Absolutely. He, he is a God that wants to pour out great things upon you. But I'm telling you, he is more concerned with our character. He's more concerned with our integrity. He is more concerned with our pursuit for him than he is about, about expensive clothing and, and stuff like that that we, that we value in our own lives. I'm telling you, we need to make that shift. Amen. And get back to the place where we put first things first. Amen. Because, see, there's only one thing that is first in our lives, and it needs to be him. Amen. And through that, all of the rest of these good things will flow. Amen. I mean, I've seen this. I've seen this throughout the church. You know, people, people desire, you desire, you know, desire things from God. They get saved. They get filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, they're, they're on fire. They're in church. Great things are going. They start believing God for, for a business and, and amazing things start happening. They get promoted in their job. They, they start a business. They graduate from university. Whatever happens, but God starts pouring things out into them. Just, just bless them. They're believing God and things starts happening. And then, and then what happens when they start getting successful? You know what happens? They, they start drifting off. It's like, oh, where is so-and-so? Oh, well, you know, they're, you know, they, yeah, they got another business meeting or they got another job or, or they got transferred away or, or whatever it is. I'm telling you, and, and things just get slowly and slowly, that fire slowly gets, gets burnt out by the very blessing that God placed in our hand. 
I'm telling you, that, that shouldn't be so. God, God's pouring out these blessings in our hands so we can do with it what, he's, what he desires us to do, and that's to fulfill the kingdom, amen? Not, not fulfill our kingdom, but, but to build and, and fulfill his kingdom. Don't get distracted, guys. If, I could, if that can be anything that the Western church needs to hear is, man, don't get distracted, amen? Thank God for, for the things that he pours out upon us, but don't get distracted with those things. I mean, keep your eyes focused on him and him alone, and it will, it will move us in the, in the right direction, amen? He says, he says, because you saith that you're rich, that you're increased with goods, that you're wealthy, you have need of nothing. He goes, but you know it's not. And I'm telling you, this is, this is powerful. This is, that, this is that, that Greek word, oida, where, where it has to have a personal knowledge. He's saying, you don't even have a personal knowledge of yourself, of who you are anymore. He says, all you can see is this facade that you've built up for yourself. You don't even know who you are. But listen, I'm going to tell you who you are, right? Because see, you're, you're miserable. You're miserable. You're, you're wretched. You're, you've, been, you've become so calloused, amen, that you can't hear from me anymore. You've become wretched and calloused where, where I don't exist. I'm, you're not hearing from me. Yeah, you're coming to church. Yeah, you're saying praise the Lord. Yeah, you're giving an amen, but you can't hear from me anymore because you become calloused with this facade that you put on. You're miserable. You don't have any joy of the, of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you anymore. Because you're poor. You may, be, you may be financially rich on the carnal side of things, but he's saying, I'm telling you, you are spiritually impoverished. You're spiritually impoverished. I'm telling you, that's a tough thing to hear. He says, you're blind. Amen, you're blind. Yeah, yeah. you know, you can walk around. You may have some pretty, uh, pretty blue eyes or pretty brown eyes or pretty green eyes or black eyes or whatever it may be, but I'm telling you, you can't see through them. You may be able to see through your physical ones, but your spiritual eyes are seeing nothing that I'm putting in front of you. Why? Because you're, you're calloused. He goes, you're naked. You're naked. You may be beautifully dressed. Maybe beautiful dressed here in the natural, but he goes, I'm telling you, you're spiritually naked. You've traded in this robe of righteousness. You've traded in this garment of praise for Versace and Chanel. And you think you're going somewhere. He goes, but in the spirit, you're absolutely naked and you don't even recognize it. You don't even recognize it. You don't recognize the shame that's come upon you in the spirit. He says, but listen, I'm going to counsel you. I'm, I, want, I want to get you out of this mess. I love that word. I love it how Jesus says, I want to counsel. He goes, I counsel you, therefore, to buy gold, try it in fire, that you may be rich and white raiment, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye, with eye salve that you may see. He goes, I counsel you, come to me. Come to me. I, I want to counsel you. See, see, many of us, we think that, that you know, the, the people, we need to go to counselors nowadays to get things set right. I'm saying if we, if we read the word, you know, that's where our counseling comes from. Amen. We need to get our counsel from the word of God. We need to get our counsel from the Holy Ghost. We need to get our counsel from the presence of the Spirit of God. Why? Because it will change the things spiritually on the inside of us. Amen. He says, come make an appointment with me. Come chat with me for a little bit. You know, let's, let's talk about things. You tell me what you think is going on, and I will correct them on the inside of you. I love in Isaiah, Isaiah 118, it says, it says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins may be like scarlet, they shall also be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool, white like wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you should be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. He says, I, I've, I've, I've put before you cursings and blessings. I've, I've put before you life. i put before you death. He's saying, choose life. I counsel you, choose life. Because see, I've spoken these things. I, if you want to go the path of the adversary, you're going to get the reward of the adversary. But I'm telling you, I'm counseling you. If you take life, if you take my blessings, you will be able to have them. Amen. If you take them, you will have them. I love that he says, and, and the message, it says, if you, will, if you will be willing and obedient, you will feast like kings. You'll feast like kings. If you'll be willing and obedient, if you'll come reason, let him counsel you and be willing and obedient to follow his ways, his word, he says, he goes, you'll feast like kings, but if not, you'll die like a dog. 
You'll die like a dog. Why? Not because I'm going to pour some curse upon you. Not because I'm going to strike you dead. But because you're going to open up the door to, to the adversary. If you want to play the adversary's game, you're going to open up your, yourself to, to receive the adversary's paycheck. If you want to continue and walk in pride of Satan, you can receive his paycheck. It says, I counsel you. He goes, buy of me gold. Buy from me. Buy from my storehouse. Buy from my marketplace. You know, I know, I know, you are, uh, you know, Laodicea is supposed to have the most beautiful marketplaces and more marketplaces than anyone in Asia Minor. And he's saying, he's saying, listen, I know you have great, wonderful marketplaces, but I'm telling you, I got some things you need to buy and you can't buy them from the, the, the worldly markets. You're going to have to come to my marketplace. And I'm telling you, if you come to my marketplace, if you'll trust in my marketplace, I will provide everything you need. Why? Because I am, I am the supplier. I am the provider of all you needs according to, to my riches and go, not your right no, no, according to everything that I have, I'll, I'll be everything you need. Just come to my market. Come to my market. Purchase from me the things and you'll never, you'll never be in need again. He goes, buy some of this the gold refined in fire. Refined in fire without any purities, without any impurities. You know, Jesus I love it when we, you know, talk about fire. You know, this would be like a, one of those tag words, you know, that everyone, that everyone talks in the church today. Oh, man, bring the fire of God. You know, and I, and I love that because I love the fire of God. But I think a lot of people get maybe confused on what actually the fire of God is. Amen. Now, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost to come on us in power. But I'm telling you, I'm also thankful for the power of God. Why? Because, or the fire of God. Why? Because the fire of God burns the chafe. It refines you. It burns off all the, all the rubbish. It, br- it burns off all the impurities that are on the inside of you. Everything that doesn't look like him, it will come in and burn them off. Why? So we can be perfect mirror images of Jesus as we're walking down here on the earth, acting like Jesus acted, doing the things that Jesus said, doing the same things Jesus did, even greater things, as he says. But we got to allow that fire to come in and burn those impurities off. Hmm? He says, come by gold to me, tried in fire, with impurities burnt off. He goes, that you may be rich, that you may be rich, that you may be abundantly supplied in everything that you're doing. I'm telling you, Jesus, see this, this wealth that Jesus, the, the wealth and, and, and riches and prosperity that the Lord provides for us. Listen, listen, it is not just material. Amen. Well, praise God, he can, he can give us material things. If you need a new car, praise God, he can, he can get a new car. If you need a house, he can get you a house. He can, he can do these things. He desires to do these things for us, but it's not just material. That's, that's on the bottom of the list. I'm telling you, church, he, he will make you new, rich, wealthy, spiritually on the inside, I'm telling you, which is powerful. He will change your mind and make you rich in everything in your mind, everything in your soul, everything in your emotions will be abundantly supplied and operate in absolute perfection. I'm telling you, church, if you allow it, he will make your flesh rich, rich in the goodness of God, rich in his power, rich in his glory, rich in healing. If we allow him uh, to to provide these things for us. Listen, I'm telling you, God, God doesn't mind us being rich. He even says he's the ones that will provide us wealth. Amen. I'm telling you, God does mind certain things when it comes to it. He does, he, does, he does mind us being covetous. He does mind us, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses. He does mind us not being content with the things that he's placed in our hand. He does mind us not using the things that he has placed in his hand for his kingdom. I mean, he, he does mind these things, and we need, we need to get these things straight. Listen, I've been on all three perspectives when it comes to, to prosperity. I've lived in all three of them. You say, what is all three of them? You know, the first one is, is poverty-minded. I, I, I've been there. I, you know, got saved and, and, uh, and grew up in a denominational family. I, I understand what the poverty mentality mindset is. You know what it did to me. I was like, oh, wow. You know, God, if you're going to be a minister, you, you got to be poor. You can't have anything. You, you know, you got to be scraping by and your kids got to wear the, the secondhand shoes and all those kinds of things. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'm not doing that. I, I won't become a preacher. Amen. I'll become a businessman because you can bless me being a businessman, but I'm not going to live in poverty being a preacher. That's not going to happen. Amen. So what it made me do, it made me run away from the things of God for many years of my life right? until, until I found the gospel. 
Amen. But see, I didn't just, I didn't just find the, the middle of the road there. I was in the ditch on one side and then I came all the way over and became in the ditch on this side. Amen. And I, be, and I became wealth minded. Amen. I just went from one ditch, jumped over to the other and became wealth minded thinking, man, if, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a real Christian, if you're going to be doing things for God, if God's pleased with you, man, you're going to have to be rich in everything you do. You're going to have to have nice things and you're going to have to do this. And that really means that God's for you. That means God's doing things for you. He's watching out for you. That means you're, you're in tight with God. And I'm telling you, that's absolute rubbish. That's rubbish. You say, what does it do? It, it, it puts you to the place where you're not content with anything, right? Oh, I need a new car. God's going to bless me. Oh, praise God. I got this new car. Well, thank you, Lord Jesus. Now that's not any good anymore. I need a better one. I need a better one. Now, oh, but that one's not good. Now, now, now I need a better one. I need a more expensive one. Oh, and that house, that wasn't very good. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with that. But that's rubbish now. I need bigger so people can see this. I'm telling you, that is a rubbish doctrine that's not of God. It's not scriptural. It's not scriptural. I'm telling you, I've been in that ditch and I've came over to this other side of the ditch. And I'm telling you, when I began to get led by the spirit of God, he moved me right into the middle and cut off the, burned off the chafe on that side, burned off the chafe on this side and just allowed me to cruise right down the middle to where I, I wasn't poverty minded, wasn't wealth minded. I became God minded. Coming to that place where I know God does want you to prosper. He does want you to be uh, abundantly supplied. He does want you to have enough for yourself and for people around you. But not just to build your kingdom and, 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 uh, and to do everything and grant every need. And you want to know something? I'm telling you, God will, God will grant your needs. He'll grant your wants. The word says it, amen. But that's not the only thing he's concerned about. I mean, he's concerned about people planting churches. He's concerned about missionaries getting taken care of on the field. He's concerned about the poor getting taken care of. He's concerned about the orphans being monitored and being, and being taken care of. He, he's concerned with other things besides our comforts. Amen. If he can begin to trust you with these things, if he can trust you with wealth, if he can trust you with finances, he'll pour it in you. Why? Because uh, he, need, he needs some people that, that won't just start gathering up for themselves, but they'll begin to pour it out into the world, into his kingdom. Amen. Because that's godly minded. That's godly minded. Hmm. Yeah, I'll step on, I'll step on that toe as well, I guess. You know, we get a lot of people, you know, that want to talk about uh, that, you know, they're, we're anti-abortion, I'm telling you. You know, the, you know, the stance of this church, we would be very pro-life, anti-abortion, amen. But see, and God, when God's asking us to do things, he wants, he wants us to be godly-minded in everything we do. You say, what do I mean by that? See, see a lot of us, we, 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 you know, we get saved, we, we start reading the word, we know that God values life, and we, and we become you know, anti-abortion, pro-life, and we start you know, putting things on Facebook and doing all kinds of things like that, and which is good. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that because we need to, we need to get the truth out. We need, to, we need to allow people to see those things. We, the church needs to express these things about murdering children. Amen? Now, listen, if anyone has had an abortion, anyone had anything uh, done like that, I'm not telling you, I got, you know, God, God will forgive you for it. You can get healed from it. You can get healed from your guilt. That's not the thing. You know, we, you know, we can pray free. All you got to do is send us a message, amen, and we'll get you delivered to those things. But, but what I am trying to point out is, you know, we don't need to stop at just doing Facebook posts. Hmm? We don't need to stop at just, you know, getting out there and picketing outside of Planned Parenthood in the U.S. or, or, or one, of the, one of the abortion clinics that's raising up here in the north and down here in the south. I mean, now those things should be done, yes, but we don't need to stop there. Say, what am I saying? I'm saying if, we, if we're gonna if we're gonna take care of those things, you know, why, why don't we take care of all the things that are regarding the children? And see, maybe people will stop thinking about abortion if maybe Christians will begin to take care of the orphans. Maybe if we would stop being so concerned about ourselves, <laughs> good night. If we start getting concerned about ourselves, and maybe we go adopt a child. I mean, I'm telling you, if every, every Christian that's in this world would adopt a child, there wouldn't be enough for us to adopt in this world. Hmm? I'm telling you, that, these things ought to be convicting. To the church, it ought to be because I'm telling you, we're so we're so focused right here, and what and what is easy for us. I'm telling you, you, you guys know we, we adopted a little girl from China. We 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 did these things. I'm telling you, it wasn't anything I wanted to do either. It wasn't anything I wanted to do. My wife my wife hammered on it for for several years. 
amen, until about two years before we came over here. Why? Because I, I didn't want to spend the money on it, and I didn't want to spend my time and effort doing it, if you want me to be frank with you. She says, well, well, honey, what do you think about adoption? I, I don't think about it. Well, why not? Because that's not anything I want to do. Well, have you prayed about it? No. Why would I pray about it? Because I know what God's answer is going to be. I know what the word says. I mean, so why would I pray about something like that? Hmm? Just pray about it. Okay, I'll pray about it. Got to be a man of my word. Next day, okay, where are we going to adopt from? Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. But I'm telling you, church, if we will begin to take things to the Lord, take things to him, seek out his heart on things. I'm not, I'm not, I know not everyone's cut out for it. I, I understand that. And I don't even know why I'm getting off on some of these things. But I'm telling you, if we will, if we will press into the things of God, I'm telling you, we, we can stop a lot of things if we'll just stop being so self-centered. Amen. And start having the heart for God. I'm telling you, yeah, exactly. That, that's why I went there. Thank you, Lord. Here in Acts chapter 6, team. <laughs> Acts chapter 16. I was reading through this a couple weeks ago, or maybe a month or so ago, and I came a, across this scripture here. Now, my pastor was preaching this yeah, back in Galveston when, uh, when, when we lived there, obviously. And in the, these scriptures here, verse 30 and verse 31. And it says, and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, this is Paul and Silas when they're praising God in the, you know, in the Philippian prison. And they, you know, the, you know everything broke loose. The chains fell off, you know, and, the, and this, this soldier was about to kill himself. And then he turned over and said, and they said, don't kill yourself. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your whole house. Now, I have a little note written next to this. I have a little note written next to this, and it says, claimed over my family this great promise of God, August 9th, 2015. August 9th, 2015. Now, at that time, Lane would have been saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not 100% sure about Jetta yet, because I think he got saved when we moved over here. But Lucy, we just adopted her, and she was not. She couldn't even speak English, right? She had no clue. She was just happy to, to be around people, right? But during this, during this uh, pandemic that we've had of 2020 and 2021, I have another little note sitting here. This promise was fulfilled the 12th of April, 2020, when Lucy got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost during the pandemic of COVID-19. I'm telling you, if we'll begin to seek out his ways, this is what I'm trying to tell you, church. If we'll, if we'll seek out his ways on doing things, I'm telling you, you know, one, that's one little girl that's not going to hell that was raised up in a nation that, that is anti-Christian that you can't even bring a Bible into the nation. Amen? But we need to be godly-focused, godly-minded on everything that we do. Hmm. On everything we do. He says, so that you may be rich. Hmm. Jesus doesn't mind you being rich. He just wants you to be rich with his wealth. Amen. He says, buy of me. Don't just buy gold of me. Buy white raiment, this dazzling white raiment that, will, that is glorious and pure. Buy that of me. He goes, why? Why? Which is, this is absolutely beautiful here. He says, that you may be clothed and that your shame of your nakedness may not appear. He says, buy a white, a pure, a raiment for me so you can be clothed. So you can be clothed so, so that your shame will be hidden. Because see, you can't see your shame. I'm telling you, in the spirit, everyone sees your shame. And I'm saying, buy this, 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 this clothing, this you know, garment of praise. Buy that robe of righteousness and put those things back on so in the spirit you can be clothed. He says, you know, purchase for me some eye salve so that your eyes can see. Not these eyes so your spiritual eyes will be opened back to where you can see the things that I'm leading you to do. And when those spiritual eyes are open, then the eyes of your mind will be open. And when the eyes of your mind can be open, then your physical eyes can be opened. He says, as, as many as I love, 
I rebuke, I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I'll finish with this verse here. I love this verse. He says, uh, as many as I love, I rebuke, I chasten. I love it because every time the Lord rebukes me, every time he chastens me for getting off one direction or the other, I know it's not because he's disowning me or because he hates me or because he's disapproving of me. Right here it says, because I love you. As many as I love, those are the ones that I'm going to rebuke. They're going to be the ones that I chasten. He says, I love you so much, I'm fixing to get involved with your situation. And I'm going to correct it. But it's only because I love you. It's only because I love you. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want you running off the end of the cliff. Amen. He wants you to have the ability to correct the things in your life. So if you are getting off course and you've come to that realization, you can expect a rebuke. You can expect to be chastened by the Spirit, by Jesus himself. And if you're ears and eyes and spirit are too callous to hear from him, you can expect a, a, a spiritual leader in your life to come do it for you. Amen. Just like John did right here. This is what John was doing. See, this church was so callous. They couldn't hear from me. He says, John, you need to go take care of some business with my churches. They can't hear from me. Amen. Get it, get it, let's get them going in the right direction. He says, I rebuke. This word rebuke in the, in the lexicon properly means to, to conceive with solid, compelling, to convince, excuse me, with solid, compelling evidence, especially to expose or to prove wrong. It's like a cross-examination, right? That's what a rebuke is like, a cross-examination. It's, it's bringing forth, giving evidence like in a courtroom, bringing an evidence compelling, you know, someone to, to allow the truth to come forth, whether they recognize it, see it or not. If you give enough, you know, convincing and enough evidence, the, the truth will be conveyed. It will be, it will be brought forth. It literally means to convince or convict, which we all know is the corrective side of the Spirit of God, right? He says, those I love, I rebuke, I will convict, I will convince, but I also chasten. Now, this is that Greek word, pehiduo, uh, which means to, to train children, to chasten, to correct, to discipline. Now, as we always say, I'm always going to add, you know, our God does not discipline us by sickness. He doesn't discipline us by disease. He doesn't discipline us by poverty. He disciplines us by his word, and he disciplines us by his spirit. Amen. But this is to train up a child into maturity so that they realize their future potential through strict disciplining and training. Through strict discipline and training, not this passive type of training us parents like to do nowadays, amen, to where, to where we think our, our children got to be our best friends so we can't do anything that's too corrective because they may get mad at us and not want to talk to us, amen. You know, Jesus says, I love you enough. I'm going to train you up like a military kid. I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to convince you that you're wrong. And then I'm going to train you up, show you how to get on the right path to where you can fulfill all your potential. You can fill everything that I'm calling you to do. Amen. How many of y'all know that the military, when you go into the military, how they train you up, they don't, they don't just sit there and, oh, will you do these things? Or, or maybe, maybe think about doing these things. No, they give you orders on what to do. Why? Because they're training you up in the way that you should go. They're fixing to, to place you in a life and death situation. They don't need you to think for yourself. They need you to be able to follow an order. They need to be, when, a, when a, something comes into your mind, you need to react in what it's saying, not, not second guess it. Amen. So what do they do? They train you. They beat you. They run it out of you. Whatever they need to do to get you. When an order comes forth, you go take the hill or you retreat or you go to the right or you go to the left. They, they train you up to where you will follow directions. I'm telling you, church, if we can just be trained up to follow the directions, follow the leading of the Spirit of God, trained to, be, to follow what the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us to do in his word. I'm telling you, church, we will, be, we will fulfill the things that God has called us to do. Amen? Hmm. Hallelujah. Hmm. I think that's powerful. Jesus saying, I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to rebuke you by showing you evidence. And then I'm going to I love you so much, I'm going to bring forth an effort to mature you up till you can fulfill all of your potential. You won't become worthless. Things that don't fulfill their potential, man, they're worthless. Aren't they? 
you know, religious doctrine. It never fulfills its potential. Why? Because it's man-made. It's worthless. You just push it, push it off to the side. A car that doesn't, that doesn't operate, that doesn't do what it's, it's, it's the potential that it's supposed to do. I'm telling you it's worth it. Trade it. Get rid of it. I'm telling you a wife that doesn't fulfill her potential, you trade her in for the new model. No, I'm just joking. Edit that bit out right there. <laughs> I'm just, just joking. I love you, honey. Oh, he says, be zealous. He goes, as many as I love or I rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore. Therefore what? Go back and see what it's there for. Be zealous, be passionate, be fiery, be fervent. What for? Because I'm rebuking you and chastening you. Get passionate about the things of God because of, because of the rebuke and the chastening that's coming. Why? Because I love you enough to stop you from running off the cliff. Hmm? And I'm going to train you up to meet, the, meet, your, meet my expectations for you. Hmm. Even meet your own expectations. Hallelujah. And then he says, and repent. So be passionate. Be fervent. And repent. Now, I'll end with this. Repent, probably one of my favorite words in the Greek. A Greek word, metanoia. Now, I love this word. I mean, it's a, but, and the reason I think why I love it is because most of the church has it confused with what it actually is. Amen. The Greek word metanoia means to, to change your mind or purpose or to change the way you think. Amen. It has nothing to do with coming to the altar and crying and grieving and sorrowing. That's, that's not repentance. That's crying, that's grieving, that's sorrowing. And that does nothing. That does nothing. Now, it can be a product of repentance. Amen. Once you change the way you think and you understand that you are doing things contrary to what God has, you know, that may bring forth some sorrow. It may bring forth some grief. Amen. But that grief and sorrow doesn't do anything. Changing the way you think to the way God thinks, that's what changes something in your life. That is what will change something in your life. Amen. I think the church nowadays, they think if I can just feel bad enough, oh, if I can just cry a little bit, you know, when the good song comes up, I cry a little bit because I feel bad for the things that I've done. That's all I need to do. Just ask, ask for forgiveness, man. Everything's great. Everything will be great. Well, Jesus didn't say here, ask for forgiveness. I'm telling you, asking for forgiveness is good. Amen. The, the word talks about this. Asking forgiveness is good. Amen. It can relieve a whole lot of pressure that sin is placed on the inside of it when you find out that, that Jesus has forgiveness for things in the past, in the present, and even in the future, the things that we, that we haven't even done yet. You've already been forgiven for him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He is that good, but Jesus doesn't ask us to ask for forgiveness here. He says, change the way you're thinking. Change the way you're thinking. See, confession is not repentance. Forgiveness isn't repentance. Crying at the altar, it's not repentance. Repentance is changing the way that you think. You know, in the U.S., we have, we have a law called, uh, or not a law, but maybe it's just a whatever, well, whatever you call it. They call it the three strikes and you're out rule, I guess is, is what I would call it. Meaning, if you, uh, that comes from a baseball term, right? If you miss the ball three times, right, then you're out, right? Now, if uh, the, the court uses this to where if you do the same thing three times, you steal or, you know, you rob whatever you do, three, you do it three times, that means you're out. There's no, there's no questions asked. You're getting the maximum sentence, no, no bail, no nothing, you're done. You know, and why is that? Because it's just like this. You get caught stealing. You go up in front of the judge. You say, well, judge, man. Yeah, I just been going through a tough time, you know. I just it was, you know, I was having some problems, you know, and I, I apologize. I, you know, I'm never going to do anything like that again. I'll never do it again. And I said, okay, you got community service going about your way. A year later, you come up, get caught stealing again. Oh, judge, man, I just lost my job. Man, it was just, it's been, I mean, this has been like the worst year ever, I'm telling you. But, but I, I mean, I, I promise you, I guarantee you these things, will, it'll never happen again. It'll never happen. I apologize. I apologize. Please just, please give me leniency. Just give me some mercy and I, I promise I, you'll never see my face again. Say, so, all right, here's a fine and here's, here's community service. He comes, he comes back another time, the third time. He said, well, judge, you're not going to believe this. You know, my wife left me. You know, I don't want to hear it. Click, 10 years, you're gone. 
just like that. Why? Because three strikes are out. Why? Because I've already heard your sob story one, two, and three times. I'm telling you, you're not sorry. You may be sorry that you got caught, but you haven't changed the way that you're thinking. Amen. See, when we change the way we are thinking, it may bring forth an attitude of being sorry or needing for asking for forgiveness. Amen. But you're going to have to change the way that you're thinking first. Or I'm telling you, all this other stuff means nothing. I'm telling you, people come to God all the time. Oh, I'm sorry. I keep on doing the same thing. I've done it a hundred times. Jesus said, quit asking for forgiveness. Change the way you're thinking. Get right. And then you'll never have to ask for it again. It's as simple as that. Metanoia. Repent. Change the way you're thinking. Change your thinking, your worldly thinking, that this world has trained you up, that your family has trained you up to, and adopt my way of thinking. And you'll be able to move forward with power, anointing, my grace, and everything that I've called you to do. Repent. Be fervent. Be passionate. And change the way you're thinking. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. You're such a good, you're such a good king. You're such a good God. We thank you for loving us so much that you rebuke us, you chasten us. You correct us. You train us up. You have a desire to train us up, Lord, to be great sons and daughters in the kingdom, to do greater things that we, than we even expect that we can do. But we got to change the way we're thinking. Lord, I thank you, Lord. Allow the word, allow the seed of the word of God to come in and be so planted, producing fruit on the inside of us that we just have a desire to renew our minds with the word, not, not just listening to messages, not just listening to preachers, but we get in the word for ourselves and allow it to, to wash our mind clean to where we can completely get rid of, we can get brainwashed, if you will, have our brains completely washed, soaked, scrubbed, and dried from all the worldly thinking that's been on the the inside of a sword and replace it with your word. Replace it with your way of thinking, Lord. We, we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. We glorify you for it. Hmm. We thank you for this wonderful letter you've written to the church. Yeah. Lord, may we receive the, the, the corrections that we need in our churches and in our lives. And may we be bold enough, Lord, to take a hold of your rebuke Receive your chastening. Lord, so we can fulfill everything that you've called us to do. Because yes. I, I have such a have such a sense on the inside of me, even as I'm saying this, even about myself, Lord, I think there's so much bigger things that you have planned for us that we can't even fathom because we know we couldn't do them in the natural. But if we will yield unto you, Change our way to, to your thinking that all things are possible to them that believe. All things that are possible for them that can hear from the Spirit of God and believe. We will be the force to be reckoned with here on this earth. We will bring in that latter day rains. We will bring in that harvest. We will be the ones that are snatching people out of the pits of hell. We will be ones raising up our children to be solid men and women, solid sons and daughters in the kingdom. not letting one stray that comes in our path. Lord, so we thank you for it, Lord. We glorify you for it. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.